Welcome to Theosophia, a podcast for women's voices in theology. I'm your host, Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and today I'm posting a sermon I gave over spring break when I was in Breckenridge, Colorado. Father Charlie Brumbaugh of St. John the Baptist Episcopal Church was kind enough to let me share a homily with his community during a Eucharistic service on March 21st, 2018. Sermon writing and preaching is a relatively new skill set for me, so I think it's really important to not only do it from time to time to get feedback from clergy and lay folk, but also I really think it's important to share these more broadly via this podcast to hopefully empower other women to use their voices and share them too. So in this sermon, I'm using the Lent 5 gospel text, which is John 12, 20 through 33, and I'm going to say it here real quick. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. So here's my take on John's atonement theology. Enjoy, y'all. name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So one of the privileges my theological education has given me in my Episcopal formation over the years has been how to interpret the biblical text. I'm not saying I hold some perfect knowledge or understanding of God's wisdom. Um, all I'm saying is when I interpret the text, I bring with me my experiences. And so I have a filter of not only my life, but also the church and what we call the tradition, the big T tradition. And specifically, our Episcopal and Anglican method of thinking about theology. So when we do theology, we use scripture, tradition, and reason, or our experience. And my priest in Oklahoma constantly emphasized how we are to read scripture through the lens of Jesus' life, and his death, and his resurrection, and ascension, all of these things. These are our source of authority through which we create meaning. So as a theologian, my job is to wrestle with the text and find meaning through what I know about Christ. And in today's text, we see the most concentrated number of Jesus' sayings. There's so much happening in this text. But I, I want to point out um, what this text has to say about atonement, specifically. 
So I think this text starts by pointing our attention towards Holy Week, which is coming up soon. So we've all been wandering in the wilderness uh, with Christ during this Lenten season, taking on or giving up things for spiritual practice. And we're supposed to be drawing near to God during this time, right? Growing our, in our relationship with God, which is also a growth in ourselves. And that, in turn, I think, should always direct us outwards towards others. And in my sermons, what I like to do because of Jesus' life and how I interpret meaning is to talk about a theological thing. So in this case, atonement, what Christ's deaths mean. Christ's deaths mean. I don't know why my words are like stumbling out of my mouth right now. I think it's because my parents are here. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> slow down, Sarah. So I'm going to talk about a theological thing, and then I'm going to turn it into an ethical thing. So I think Christ taught us things, but he also lived things. So I think if we keep these beautiful abstract theological concepts, but we don't put them on the ground and walk, make them walk, then our faith has no purpose. So today I want to posit, posit that this text in John pushes us to think about the meaning of Christ's death, or what theologians call atonement theology, is a moment of reconciliation. And more broadly, that our Lenten journey is an intentional time in the liturgical year to demonstrate this idea of reconciliation with God, ourselves, and our communities. So John is my favorite gospel. I don't know about y'all, but it's my favorite. I like it because it's the outlier gospel. So the three main gospels we call the synoptics, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all seem to be written by the same source, using the same source. They have a lot of the same stories and sayings of Jesus. But John is different. It's a lot more mystical. There's much more symbolism. It's kind of weird. Um, which, if you knew me, I, I relate to this because I feel like I'm mystical and weird, too. <laughs> Um, but I also think I love that we kept it in the canon because I think it challenges us to not take things so literally and keep that mystery going about our faith. So remember that John's gospel starts with a nativity story, completely different than the synoptics um, nativity stories. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. In him was life, and life was that light of all mankind. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm pretty sure this is the text we... Um, went over last time I was here in Advent, right? <laughs> so right off the bat, we get this rich understanding of Jesus' relationship with God. Jesus is literally God in the flesh. God is walking around on earth with us. This is the first hint we have at God's love for humanity and that God decided to come and share life with us as one of us. Now at the time, the people didn't quite know or understand what Jesus was, even the disciples seemed confused or unsure at times. This is what Jesus means by, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He is predicting his death here and saying that his death will reveal, reveal to the world who he really is, God incarnate. So over human history, there have been several understandings of atonement. And the church fathers have been wrestled, wrestled these for centuries. The first one's ransom or classical. And this is where we believe that Christ's death is an act of ransom or a payment that bought the world its freedom from sin and death. The third one, or the, excuse me, the second one is called substitutionary or sacrificial victim atonement, where Christ's death is seen as a sacrifice to atone for human guilt and sin. And then there's a third, the moral influence theory, where Christ is kind of, his death is a model of moral behavior as it reveals to humanity how God loves us and how we, are, how we ought to act in the world. 
And this is where we see in Luke and Matthew, Jesus saying, you know, take up your cross and follow me. I'm not a big fan of atonement theologies in general. I think they're generally way too simplistic and create theological understandings of Christ's death that people use to make sense of things that do more harm than good. Think about sometimes how we focus so much on our sin and how we are sinners that we become self-loathing or body negative or say things like love the sinner, hate the sin. These aren't very helpful mindsets to be in healthy, holistic humans in relationship with one another. I'm not saying it's not important to name that we are imperfect humans, but to focus on sin instead of what makes us whole, I think can be counterproductive. Luckily, I'm not the first person to realize this problem in our theological language. Like I said, our Catholic brothers and sisters have been talking about atonement in different ways for centuries. And the one way I really, I like and I think is more helpful Um, is this idea of reconciliation. So the word atonement literally means, the verb atone, or at one, literally means to reconcile. So this action means that through Christ's death, God reconciles the world to God's self. Or more literally, God and the world are made to be at one. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says it this way, For God indeed was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. John highlights this reconciliation when Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. In this moment, God is literally reconciling a broken relationship. God is not judging the world due to our sin, or excuse me, God is judging the world due to our sin and corruption, but we have a choice to make, like Jesus did in his agony, in his troubled soul, when he knew his death was imminent. The text says, and what should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So Jesus chose to reconcile our brokenness and unhealthy ways of being in the world to God's character of wholeness, health, and love. And let me be clear here. I'm bringing these words to the text. Health, wholeness, reconciliation. These words aren't directly in the text, but neither are words like trinity or atonement, right? (laughs) But I'm bringing these words to help us make sense of the text, to give us more helpful theological language for what's going on here. So stick with me. This gets more useful when we start thinking ethically. So what does atonement as reconciliation look like on the ground? I think the first hint we have of this is the fruit Christ talks about in his agriculture metaphor to the seed falling on the ground and dying. He's pointing toward the notion that his death produces the community of believers, the church. So put in terms of atonement, Christ died to bring us in relationship with God to reconcile us to God. So the faith community is the fruit of Christ's death and what shows God's love in the world. So as the incarnation binds Christ to God, Christ's death binds us to him, to God. We become partners in a reconciled relationship, and our relationship with one another is an extension of our relationship with God and God's relationship with Christ. So when we are doing relationship with each other right, when it is healthy and good, we are realizing God's love in a reconciled relationship with us. This is the kingdom of God on earth coming alive. A glimpse of that heavenly home waiting for us with Christ. So instead of thinking about ourselves as sinners, what if we started thinking about ourselves as children of God? 
Instead of thinking about ourselves as fallen and broken and far from God, what if we thought and lived as reconciled with God through Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension? How would this change the way we live in relationship with one another, with ourselves? So going back to that example I named earlier, love the sinner, hate the sin, which is something people like to say about gay people, right? The problem with this ideology is that we approach our brother or sister with a really negative attitude and understand them as broken or defective and different from ourselves, assuming almost that we aren't also broken and sinners. It creates an attitude of I'm better than you or you are more broken than me. That barely makes sense to do as a people that believe in the new life we were given by Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So then given that we believe in our reconciled relationship with God, how should we treat someone that is different than us? I think living as people reconciled, we approach each other with love and wholeness. We meet each other with open arms instead of clenched fists. Like I said earlier, I encounter my brother or sister with a desire to be in a relationship and a healthy one, one that is centered on Christ's love for us. So brothers and sisters, as we get closer to Holy Week, I beckon you all to draw near to God as one reconciled through Christ's saving action. This doesn't change the fact that life is hard. Bad things will happen. There's still death and suffering. But we have a God who suffers with us. A God who came to be with us and is still with us as holy wisdom that draws us to herself, to ourselves, and to each other. Let's live as a people who have been redeemed and reconciled, and not as those stuck in our sin and fallenness. Let's live as a people loved by God, a people that have been transformed by that love and can be identified by how we love others. Therefore, let us go forth and live as those reconciled in wholeness, and health with our God in love. Amen. Amen. Hope you all enjoyed the Lenten sermon. Tune in next week to hear from another awesome woman in theology. And please rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at theosophiapodcast.com and theologycorner.net. Peace, everyone. <laughs>